Cheers. Beautiful. Thank y'all so much. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Well, I'm sorry if you couldn't join us for our sunrise service this morning at Keith and Aaron's house. You missed the, well, you missed the wonderful show of God's creation. The sun popped up over the mountain right on time. And uh, it was a beautiful place to enjoy the rising of the sun. That sun rises every day. And today we're here to celebrate the greatest event in human history. The resurrection of the Son of God. So let's read Matthew chapter 28, first ten verses. The Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, he kept the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, and he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher and with fear and great joy. And did run to bring his disciple word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hell. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said unto them, Be not afraid. Go and tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come once again to thank you, Father, for your great love and your great mercy. That you looked out over the world full of sin and evil. But it didn't matter. Because what you saw was your children lost and hopeless. 
And so you give us hope. Since your son to be the sacrifice that we needed for to pay the sin debt that we couldn't pay. To give us the forgiveness of sin and to make us your children once again. And Lord, we thank you that we have eternal life through him. Fathers, we spend a little bit of time in your word and studying what it tells us here about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we talk about uh, how he came and died for the sins of the world, let us also remember that it's very personal, Father. He came and died for each one of us. So we can substitute world for me. You love me. He died for me. He gave me eternal life. Father, we're so overwhelmingly blessed. Now, Father, bless our time here together, Father. Make my words simple and make my words your words. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Greatest event in human history. You know, the birth of Christ was important because we couldn't have this event if we didn't have that event. But he walked this earth as a man. No sin, perfect. And he marched right to that cross. Took all the beatings, all the shame, all the, all the, the ridicule, all the torture. Allowed himself to be nailed to that cross and hung up until he died for us. The resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of our faith. If there's no resurrection, there's no Christians. But if there is resurrection, then our faith is true. And that's what we need to understand. And we know this is important. We know the resurrection of Jesus Christ is important because it's the theme of all the New Testament. The first sermon preached by Peter in Acts 2 at the foundation of the church, was based on the resurrection of Christ. Peter preached the same message again in Acts 4, and then again in Acts 20. Stephen preached the resurrection in Acts 7. Philip preached the resurrection in Acts 8. Paul preached the resurrection in Acts 9, 13, and 28. The resurrection theme goes through all the New Testament. So I'm just give you a few examples. In Romans 8, 11, it says, But... If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, that he raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Because he raised Jesus, he raised those who believe in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15.4 says, And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. In Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Paul said he wanted to know Christ. Not just the power of his resurrection, but he also wanted to know his sufferings. He said, I want to know everything about Jesus Christ. I want to experience his life and my life. <coughs> Eternal life means uh, living now for Jesus Christ. Even if serving God leads to death. Never fear, because Jesus has conquered death for all who believe. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. On that cross, he said, Father, why have thou forsaken me? Because he put the sin of the world upon Jesus and looked away and poured his wrath upon his own Son 
so that we can stand one day and not feel the wrath of God, but feel His, His enormous love for us as He tells us to come on home. He took the wrath so we could have eternal life. First Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which deliver us from the wrath to come. That's why I just read with him. Sorry. I do that a lot. I like to repeat myself. Revelations 1.18. Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. We don't worry about either one of those because Jesus holds the keys. And we belong to him. Our eternal life is in his hands, not our own. And the whole theme of the New Testament is the resurrection of Jesus. This morning we're going to look at Matthew's account, which focuses on the resurrection as seen through this group of women. First, they saw an angel at the tomb. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. And in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. As the women approached the sepulcher, uh, the emotions of the last few days must have been running through their minds. They loved Jesus. They cared for Him as He ministered to the world. And, and they were there at the cross. They saw Him tortured and beat. They saw Him hanging there. They saw Him die. They saw him sealed in that tomb. And Matthew here focuses on two women. I read the kids in Mark, where Mark tells us, let's know there was three women there. And they came out for sympathy, right? Three days they've been sitting there mourning the death of Jesus. And they got up early that morning, prepared spices, and, 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 and they were going to go anoint the body of Jesus. Why? Because of sympathy, because of compassion, because they had loved him. They didn't come to see the resurrection. As many times as Jesus talked about him having to rise, rise again on the third day, he's going to die and come back to life, their faith couldn't handle that. They couldn't understand that. They hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. So why were these women coming so early in the morning? Well, Mark tells us in Mark 16, it says, and when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and, and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. So understand the love these women had. They watched him die. They watched him they take his body off the cross. They watched Joseph and, and Nicodemus take the body, anoint the body and wrap it and, and put it in the tomb that belonged to Joseph. They saw that. His body was taken care of. Why would they want to come? Because they wanted to do it. Because they loved him. Now Joseph and Nicodemus probably done a good job, but it wasn't good enough for these ladies because they loved Jesus and they were going to want to take care of him the way he should have been taken care of. They came out of love and devotion and sympathy and compassion. They were driven to go and see Jesus that morning. What drives you to Jesus? Listen, 
He died for us. He gave His life for us. He gave us eternal life. What drives you to Him? It's important that we understand as much as we mean to Him, He has to mean that much to us. I hear the ladies experienced another earthquake. There was one a few days ago, back in Matthew 27... Starting with verse uh, 50, it says, Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. When Jesus died on the cross, there was another earthquake. The veil in the temple was ripped in two, the graves opened, the rocks were broken. But this earthquake didn't free Jesus from the grave. The earthquake here was when the angel came to earth. The angel didn't come to let Jesus out. He's already risen. He came to roll that stone away so people could see that he was no longer there. He came so the people could see. Mary ran to tell the others and John Chapter 20, verse 1 through 4 says, And the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, into the sepulcher to see the stone taken away from the sepulcher. And she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto him, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. And Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. They had to go see. They were able to see that Jesus was gone because the angel had rolled the stone away. Look at verses 3 and 5 of our text. Talking about the angel, and his countenance was, uh, was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, ye, for I know ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. The angel was a frightening sight, wasn't he? Those guarding him, hardened, battle-weary, Roman soldiers who were there keeping guard over that to make sure nobody tampered with the body of Jesus Christ, fainted. He glowed from being in the presence of God, this angel did. But he's as, as scary as he looked, as awesome as, and awe-inspiring as he was, he came with a message to the women, fear not. I'm going to tell you today, children, those who, fear, those who love Jesus Christ have no reason to fear. We have nothing to worry about. Our eternal life is secure. This world is just playing out the way it's going to play out because we know that we're not waiting for eternal life. Once you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life now. Our death is not death. Our death is just passing from one life to the next. And the angel then gives them good news. Look at verse 6. He is not here, for He is risen. As He said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. Jesus is not here. He is risen. Come see. 
This needs to be every sermon, every message, every witness, every time we talk about Jesus. He's not here. He's risen. Come see. The angel says, look inside and see where they placed his body. What wonderful news. Greater than they can imagine. They came to anoint a dead body. But that body's now up and walking around. The angel says, look. Look. He's not here. Such joy in her heart. The thought was too great for them to even comprehend. But the angel gives them a mission, doesn't he? In verse 7 and 8, he says, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. The angel says, Go quickly, tell them. Tell everyone that Jesus is not here. Here's the proof. The tomb is empty. Now go tell. It's not enough to know and believe. It must be a great desire to share this great news with everyone. Listen, if you knew what the cure for cancer was, if something, if something told you that this was a cure for cancer and you've seen it work and you knew it was the cure for cancer, how can you not go tell everyone about that? Knowing you see people suffering all the time with uh, end stages of cancer and, and people that are going through chemo and if they take this one little pill they can be healed completely and totally. How can you not tell everybody? You'd be shouting at every hospital. You'd be going from town to town, from city to city, saying, I have the cure for cancer. All you do is take this and you have nothing else to worry about. You'll not be sick again. Christians, we have the cure for death, hell, and the grave. Jesus Christ, He gave it to us. He said, here's the secret. The tomb is empty. I'm not here. I'm alive. And if you believe in me, you can have eternal life. Go tell people. You have the answer. You have the cure. People are dying in their trespasses and sin, and He died on the cross for those sins. He's alive. He's alive. Hallelujah. He's alive. Heaven gates are open wide. He's alive. Because he lives, we live. The women heard the news, and what did they do? They quickly went to go tell the others. How quick are you to go tell others about Jesus Christ? That he is alive and gives eternal life to all those who believe. And on their way, they met Jesus. Look at verse 9. And they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus. And behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hell. And they came and held him by the feet, and worshipped him. I love this verse. Here they come running to go find the disciples, and Jesus is there just greeting them, says, all hell, like it's no big thing, no big deal. It's just a normal day with Jesus walking in the garden and running into those ladies and saying, all hell, how are y'all? But it was sudden, and Jesus appeared before them in his resurrected body, alive from the dead. <coughs> Jesus has just conquered death and he greets them like it's just another day. Listen, when we believe that God will do what he says, we won't be surprised when it happens. Amen? Listen. Sometimes we know that someone's sick or someone's struggling and as a church we'll come together and we'll pray for that person and we'll pray and we'll pray and we'll pray and, and we'll lift them up and, 
And then when we see that God has healed them or God has really blessed them or, or they don't have that problem anymore, sometimes we feel like it's such a surprise. Why do we let that surprise us for? If you're praying, you know God has the power and the ability to do so, don't let anything take you by surprise. Because God can do miraculous things in our life. They looked upon his face, no longer stained with blood, no longer twisted in pain from hanging on that cross, but looking at them with heavenly love, overwhelmed with joy, they grabbed him by his feet and just worshipped him. They had walked with him as he ministered, but now they worship him as God. We need to worship him as God. Look at verse 10. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Finally, Jesus gives them directions on what to do. Be not afraid. I'll tell you what, for three days those disciples have lost their ever-loving mind. Okay, Peter's denied Jesus three times. The disciples have gone into hiding. They've locked themselves in a room. They've, they figured that if they killed Jesus, they're going to kill us next. They were scared to death. And Jesus tells them, ladies, you go, say, go tell them, don't be afraid. Fear not. Too many times we spend our life afraid. Afraid to say anything. Afraid to, to, to uh, announce that we belong to Jesus Christ because what other people will say. But I want you to know, even though fear had consumed the disciples, even though they didn't do what God had called them to do, even though they turned their back on the Lord, Jesus calls them what? Go tell my brethren. He says, he doesn't say go tell those, those miserable sinning disciples. He says, go tell my brethren. Why? Because Jesus don't look at what we do. He looks at who we are. That we belong to Him. We spend too much of our time thinking, I spent 35 years knowing good, good and well that I had no business being in a church. That I was not good enough to be saved. I knew my life. I knew my sins. I knew my heart. I had no reason to go to church. Preacher come to my house uh, every day, not every day, every, at least once a day for many weeks. Finally, I just got tired of it. I said, listen, I'm not good enough to be saved. He says, you're right. You're not good enough to be saved. He said, none of us are good enough to be saved. He didn't come and save those who are good enough. He came to save everyone. Despite of themselves. Despite of their sins. Because He loves you so much. He said, go tell my brethren, this is a message of love. A message of forgiveness. They were to meet the Lord in Galilee, and there he would give them, uh, uh, the, the, reveal his uh, divine power to them, and he will re- they will receive their commission on what they're to do, to go and preach the gospel to all the world. The greatest event in human history. Well, actually, what does the resurrection mean to you today? I'll say one thing, it means the Word of God is true. If Jesus rose from the dead, then the Word of God is true. It means that Jesus is the Son of God. It means that Jesus has the power over death and hell. It means that salvation is now complete. 
The resurrection proves that the church is established. It proves judgment is coming, but also forgiveness is here. And it means that we can have peace with God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. We have no fear because we are forgiven. Those verses there says, He is going to sanctify you wholly. No matter who you are. No matter what you do. No matter what you, you think your life is, or what your life should be. You can't change your life until you allow God to come in and change it for you. And he's praying here that God, your whole spirit, soul, and body will be preserved blameless until the coming of Lord Jesus Christ. I love what uh, I read someplace. One of the, some pastor wrote this down, and I can't remember who it was right now. But he says, when God looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw you. He saw your sins. He saw your failures. He saw everything. He took it all and laid it on Jesus Christ. When he looked at Jesus, he saw your sin. And now, if you believe in Jesus Christ, when God looks at you, he sees his son. He doesn't see your faults. He doesn't see your failures. He doesn't see your mistakes. He looks at you and sees that you belong to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. That you're sanctified. Whole spirit, body, and soul are His. If you believe, then you have met Jesus personally, then go and tell others. I'm going to leave you with this. For the rest of the day, I want you to do this for me. You know, we, we always talk about, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That Jesus come and died for the sins of the world. That all the sins of the world were laid upon Him. And He died for everyone. And it makes it sound so impersonal. It makes it sound, well, it's, 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 it's inclusive because it includes everybody, because He died for everybody. But for the rest of the day, I want you to have this thought, okay? Christ came to this world to be born as a man for me. He walked for 34 years on this earth and suffered. And God went through things God should never have to go through for me. God went into Jerusalem that day knowing He was going to die for me. He could have stopped that any time He wanted to. He could call legions of angels to come and take Him off that cross. But He allowed the creatures to, to beat on the Creator. That Jesus was whipped and beat, and had a crown of thorns placed on his head for me. He went to the cross and let him nail him to it for me. He hung there for me. He died for me. He rose again on that third day for me. He went back to, the, to heaven to prepare a place for me. He's coming again one day for me. Praise God. Every one of y'all can say that. Because He died for the world, every one of us can have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ and knowing that He went through all that for you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today, 
and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're bound to hell. That's it. The wrath of God is still upon you. Even though Jesus has died for your sins and, and, and you're forgiven, until you accept Him and personally come to know Him as your Savior, you're still carrying around that sin. It's like you're carrying around that burden, the sin is on your back, and you're carrying it around, and you're walking around, and it's weighing you down, and, and all you have to do is step out of it. Because He's already broke the chains. You're not chained to your sin anymore. You're not chained to this world. You're not chained to this life. You're free. Free from sin. Free to have eternal life. Free to go to heaven. Free to be with God for all eternity. Free forgiveness. All that's given to you. But first of all, you have to understand that Jesus Christ died for you, so you have to invite Him into your heart. So if you're here today, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, today would be a great day for you to understand how much He loves you and what He's done for you. And how now He's knocking on your heart saying, listen, I want to give you eternal life. I'm gone to prepare a place for you. I'm coming back for you. But you have to want me to come back by asking me to come into your heart. So today, with nobody looking around, all, all eyes closed, all heads bowed, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, can you just slip up your hand? I'm not going to call you out. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I just want to pray for you. Because if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're blinded. Satan has you blinded to the fact that that, that salvation is something you can never have, that you can't get, that you're not good enough for it. And God is telling you right now that you are good enough because I died for you. I see no hands. Church, if you're here today and Christ is your Savior and you know He died for you, this is your message. You're to go and tell people that He's no longer in that grave. He's alive. And because He lives, we live. Tell them the message. Let them know. Salvation has come to everyone through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. His blood washes away the sins. The water that flowed from Him is living water. It gives us eternal life. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You, Father, for Your message. Father, this ain't my message. This is Your message. All through the New Testament, You let us know that Christ is alive. And because He lives, all those who believe in Him can have eternal life too. Father, help us to understand what drives us to Jesus Christ. It should be the same thing that, he, that drove Him to the cross. Love. He loved us because we couldn't do anything about it. So He made a way. Now, Father, as Your, as your church, help us to go and tell others that we can lead them to the Lord. For it's in Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to have Lord's Supper. We're going to have communion. <clears throat> I want to share something with you before we get started. Uh, this past Thursday night, I went to a church, and they had a service there, uh, and the pastor talked about the Seder meal. I don't know if you all know what the Seder meal is, but it's, the Jews have it during Passover. And the meal that, uh, it's a meal that's used to uh, remember their nation's miraculous deliverance from uh, Egyptian slavery. And the Seder meal has different elements on it. It has bitter herbs. It has, a, it has a bone on it from a lamb. It has different things to help represent 
uh, them being rescued from slavery in Egypt. But I thought it was interesting that the Seder meal comes with four cups of wine or juice. For the Torah has four expressions of freedom or deliverance from slavery. So I want to read you Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. It says, Therefore, saying to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out of, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. <coughs> and as the pastor read that, that night, he talked about those four cups. The first cup we drank was for sanctification. He said, I will bring you out, make you my people. The second cup was for deliverance. I will free you from the bondage of the Egyptians. The third cup was redemption. I will bless you. And the fourth cup was always for rejoicing, for praising God, because God said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. I want you to understand, as we take communion today, we have one cup. One cup for sanctification, for deliverance, for redemption, for rejoicing. One cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ because it was his blood that gives us all these things. And not to rescue us from being slaves from some other nation, but from being slaves to sin. So as you take communion today, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, he has freed us from the bondage of sin. Matthew 26, verse 26 through 29. At the Lord's Supper, Jesus, this is at the Lord's Supper, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he gave the cup to, uh, uh, and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for, the, for many for the remission of sin. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you with my fathers, in my Father's kingdom. Isn't it wonderful to know? Even when this last supper, right before he goes to the cross, he's preparing and said, listen, we're going to have a party. One day all my people, all who believe, will join me in heaven and we'll have a, a feast and there we'll eat together. It also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that before you come to this table, you should examine yourself. I love that. I know we shouldn't, but what he's telling us there is, listen, I've given you forgiveness of sin. He said, but you're still going to sin. You're still going to make mistakes because as long as you're in this flesh, as long as you're in this evil world, you're not immune from sin. He said, but you, hey, but you confess your sins. And he's faithful just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of fallen righteousness. So he says, listen, if you're going to come to this table to remember Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, then you need to come with a clean heart. So for a few minutes, we're going to have a silent prayer. The Bible says, examine yourself. Look deep inside yourself. Is there sins you haven't confessed? Is there, is there things you need to make right with God? Then do so now. So right now, we'll have a time. Let's pray.
Serve sort of God's people.
Jesus, when he took the bread, he gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Keep
took the cup, he said, this is my blood. Bill, you pray for me. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son Jesus to shed his blood for us. He paid that penalty for all our sins, for all of us. And all we have to do is accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And we thank you for speaking to us, we pray that you speak to others and do not know Christ as your Savior. And I pray this in Christ's name. amazing things to me about the communion, the Lord's Supper, is Jesus instituted this at the Last Supper of Disciples. He told us do this, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It's, it's almost like he knows this, isn't it? He said, I, he said, I know as they walk through this world, they're going to get so bombarded with the things of this world. There's going to be so many things that's going to take their eyes off of me. There's going to be so many things that fill their heart and their minds and their lives. He said, but do this. Take that bread that, was, that represents my body and it was broken for you. And then take that cup that represents the blood and for just a little bit, put the focus back on me. And realize that the troubles of this world, the, the, the things that we go through, seem so small compared to the fact that he's taken our sins away and give us eternal life and we're bound for heaven. And the things that take us out of our mind off Jesus, he gives us this so we will think about him. <laughs> 